SLP Joshua Allison Burbank began working for the Indian Health Service in his Navajo Nation home in February of 2020. What happened next changed how he thought about his community and his profession. Soon, Joshua found himself working in an outdoor triage center, witnessing the deadly effects of COVID-19. We saw all the people pouring in. We saw people coming in the back of pickup trucks. We saw large amounts of people coming in from rural parts of the, the reservation. And those moments stick with me now. The Navajo Nation was badly affected by the pandemic. At one point last year, the Navajo Nation faced a higher rate of death by COVID-19 than any other state in the U.S. The indigenous people living there faced daily challenges, such as higher rates of poverty and limited access to running water, making sanitation more difficult. But now, the Navajo Nation is sharing a success story of plummeting COVID numbers and towering rates of vaccination. Today on ASHA Voices, one year of COVID-19 in the Navajo Nation. Joshua joins the podcast to tell his unique story and share the challenges the Navajo Nation faced throughout the pandemic. We hear the stories he looked to for inspiration, the challenges his community faced, and what the pandemic meant for elders inside the Navajo Nation. I'm J.D. Gray. This is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's resource that's unheard of. This online resource features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. Check out thatsunheardof.org. We travel now to the Navajo Nation, specifically New Mexico, where SLP Joshua Allison Burbank works at Northern Navajo Medical Center as a part of the Indian Health Service. At the hospital, Joshua serves his community as an SLP. He began his work there in February of 2020, 15 years after leaving the reservation to earn a master's degree and complete his doctorate. But that return came as COVID numbers were beginning to rise in the U.S., and soon the World Health Organization officially categorized the disease as a pandemic. For Joshua, life changed quickly. In February of this year, Joshua joined the podcast for an interview about COVID-19 and his experience returning to his Navajo Nation home. We'll begin by hearing Joshua's traditional greeting delivered in the Navajo language. Good morning, Asha. Thank you for having me. My name is Joshua Allison Burbank, and thank you for that very kind introduction. I am joining you from the Navajo Nation. I currently work as a speech-language pathologist with the Indian Health Service. Joshua, I wanted to begin by asking you about your return home. Uh, I understand you were living away from home for approximately 15 years. What were you expecting when you returned? And when did you realize things were going to be different than what you had expected? So I grew up in Tohatchi, New Mexico. The Navajo word for it is Tohatchi, and it means digging for water. I grew up in a small town on the Navajo Nation, the eastern side, on the New Mexico side. Leaving the reservation was not always the plan. But as I was encouraged to go to school and pursue a degree and to pursue a career, and as that time came, I relied a lot on community mentors and families to help me prepare to leave the reservation. And when this was happening as a young adolescent, as a young adult, I was being encouraged to go out and learn a skill, go out and learn something, pursue something, and come back to the reservation. And over the 15 years, that's always been there in the back of my mind, this need to go back to serve 
And before I left, I had a lot of traditional ceremonies, protection prayers, financial contributions for me to go and start this academic journey. And so even though it's been 15 years, returning back has been one of the most important milestones in my my life. Because up until I left for college, I was constantly thinking about how am I going to find a, my role within my community. So I was excited, naturally, as I got closer to finishing my PhD, got more training as a speech-language pathologist. I had two young children in tow. I had a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old who were living off-reservation, and the youngest one was born off away from the Navajo Nation. So I was excited for them to come back and be with family, to play with cousin, to play in the hills and the valleys where I grew up as well. So we did. We moved home, but that things suddenly changed a couple weeks after we got here. Could you tell us about that moment after you returned and when things started to change? Sure. I arrived at my new job excited to jump back into clinical work and then to be part of this larger healthcare system that exclusively serves American Indians. And I arrived and had a clinic and was starting to build up my caseload. And then end of February came, early March came, and then the first few positive cases on the Navajo Nation started. And it was just rapid transmission across the whole Navajo Nation, which expands across three states, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. The response was an all-hands-on-deck approach within the Indian Health Service and other tribal clinics and community clinics as well. Already fragile and understaffed health care infrastructure was now being required to respond to emergent needs and now the effects of this pandemic. During the first few weeks of our first surge here on the Navajo Nation, it was a very challenging time to see so many sick Navajo people. And let me remind you, or at least provide a context that my rehabilitation clinic where I worked was closed. Myself and other rehab therapists were detailed to our emergency department triage facility. So there we saw all the people pouring in. We saw people coming in the back of pickup trucks. We saw large amounts of people coming in in from rural parts of the, the reservation. And those moments stick with me now. I came home to be with community. I was looking forward to the ceremonies. I was looking forward to the conversations in Navajo with elders. I was looking forward to my children being able to play with other Navajo children. But that wasn't the case. But it was it was my job, though, to be part of this, this response to this very challenging time. Can you tell me a little bit more about the role you played specifically? Uh, what did your days look like? Well, early on in the first surge in March, April, May, many of our rehab therapists were detailed to our outside clinics, our triage center and our COVID screening tents. At that time, they were tents. When you say outside, you mean outdoors, not just outside of the hospital, correct? Yes, outdoors. With, um, the hospital parking lot is where I've been for the past year working either in our emergency department triage area or in our COVID car clinic where the bulk of testing happens for members of my service area. 
in addition to working outside, I still was seeing inpatients. I was still providing consults to adults who were experiencing difficulties with swallowing or cognitive dysfunction and voice-related difficulties as a result of COVID. is how you say COVID-19 in the Nepazad, the Navajo language. It refers to a cough. It refers to the moment it came, 2019. My first encounter with COVID-19 was seeing familiar people, patients I had seen through my clinic in the first few weeks, returning to the facility with obvious signs of respiratory distress and were determined to have COVID. That was a very challenging time for me being Navajo myself, to see members of my community, to see people I was making connections with now coming to the hospital and returning, not for speech therapy, but because they had COVID-19. In addition to being at the hospital, I was also seeing inpatients who were being treated for COVID-19. And early on, there was such a high rush of patients in that our hospital reached capacity quickly. So, of course, uh, visitors were not allowed to come in. And it was a very trying time for many hospital staff because now we had very sick Navajo patients, many of them being bilingual or being primarily Navajo speaking, who were no longer able to have those ties to their family or to be with loved ones during those final moments. Again, a very challenging time for me being that I came home to experience the positive things, to be with healthy members of my community, to help rehabilitate those who had some type of need for therapy. I didn't come here to be with members of my community to see them die or to be with them in their final moments. So I I reflect a lot on that now about my role and my journey and being a pediatric speech language pathologist and then preparing to become a generalist and serve all ages here on the Navajo Nation because I'm it. I'm the only speech therapist in my service area that serves a very large area, including communities from Northeast Arizona, as well as Southeast Utah. I've spent a lot of time reflecting on how this experience has impacted me as a clinician, as a researcher, but mostly as a Navajo male. How has this impacted me and changing my outlook on the world and how, and really what my role is as a Navajo, as a Navajo male. What have you learned from that reflection? I've learned that community is everything. I've learned that those kinship ties are more important than most things in life, especially to the Navajo. One of the important greetings that Navajos do, and I did that in today's podcast, to introduce myself in the episode, to mention my clans, to say where I'm from, what community I'm from. Every Navajo does that when greeting a new Navajo. And those are meant to immediately establish those kinship ties there. And I saw how Dikosensai has impacted and provided a, a barrier to many of those connections just because of social isolation, social distancing requirements. So that's been a big takeaway for me is how important community is to indigenous people. 
and that maybe we need to prioritize rekindling of those family values and those community ties during a public health response, but also in daily practice as healthcare professionals. Hmm. What, what do you think that would look like? I think it's going to require redefining how we interact with families, how we interact with members of historically underserved and marginalized communities. How do we interact with them as professionals, as speech language pathologists and audiologists? I think what we have to do moving forward is understand things like social determinants of health, understand things like acculturation, understand the role that we have as being social justice advocates. Because when I came here, I already knew there was going to be a need. There was already going to be an underserved healthcare system. And I was going to see the effects trickle down to health issues within my community. So I think what I'm trying to get at is we have to look at the role we have as leaders, as agents of change, as advocates for the underserved. The recovery from for the Navajo Nation is, is going to take time mostly because we're starting to see the effects of social distancing and not being able to have those gatherings, not be able to have those ceremonies. We're seeing elevated stress. We're seeing loss of culture. We're seeing limited opportunities for language exchange. I think we always look ahead on how we can empower communities. And what I've learned from being a speech-language pathologist at a federal hospital is that I think I have a higher calling. I think I need to help tell my story of how limited funding, how limited staffing, how lack of culturally responsive care trickles down and complicates response to just regular healthcare. But also when we have something like a a pandemic or a major public health emergency, if we're not prepared to handle that and respond to that, what happens to the community? And I think we saw that early on with how quick COVID spread across the Navajo Nation during our first surge in the early summertime of last year. According to the CDC, COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting American Indians and Alaska Natives. They had something on their website. It read, quote, based on data from 14 participating states, age-adjusted COVID-19 associated mortality among American Indians and Alaska Natives was 1.8 times that among non-Hispanic whites, end quote. I'm wondering if you could maybe help share some insight. What is happening uh, in Navajo Nation that that might explain some of the, the disproportionate mortality rate? I think we have to consider things like social determinants of health. Many communities on, on the Navajo Nation experience high poverty levels, high violence, lack of access to youth programming and quality and culturally tailored education programs. I think when you have a community that's marginalized and has been historically underlooked and underserved and unserved in many cases, that that elevated poverty and those that experience of chronic health conditions in these areas are going to complicate the response to health promotion. And you throw in the the rural factor as well. Of There are still communities, even where I grew up, I had relatives and neighbors who did not have electricity or did not have cable 
Many of them relied on the Navajo Nation radio station for their latest news or for the latest announcements. I still have many family members who rely on the newspaper as well for most of their news and most of their updates in their community. So when we think about how to get information out, how to educate a community that the Osinsaigi is here and here's what you need to do, multiple factors need to be considered. Health literacy, language access, geography, where are people? And I think we're getting better at doing this within my tribal community by translating material, by utilizing the existing public health team of chapter house health representatives and using public health nurses to make face-to-face visits with community elders in a safe manner and to educate them on what they need to be doing, staying home, washing hands, avoiding gatherings, learning more about what the Osinsaigi is. So I think moving forward, and future planning for public health response to pandemics or other national or natural disasters is we have to look at those factors geography health literacy and language access we're going to take a quick break and when we come back joshua shares a story he uses to find inspiration during the pandemic Support for Asha Voices comes from Asha's resource, That's Unheard Of. It's always important to check for blind spots in your practice. That's Unheard Of features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. They're quick and easy to use. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. I understand there's a story you drew inspiration from, the story of the twin warriors. Would you tell us about that story and what it means to you during this pandemic? Yes. And, uh, Navajo creation story, we believe that the first person to be created and to arrive was, was a woman, a young girl who turned into a white shell woman. White shell woman bore twin boys. And those twin boys were charged with protecting the people that were starting to come to earth. They were starting to be created. The, the Navajo people were starting to expand. But during this time, there was also monsters creatures that were impacting the people and causing harm. The twin warriors, one being monster slayer and one being child born of water, went to their father, the son, to learn a new skill, to get tools to bring back to the Navajo nation, to the Nebikeya, is how you say it, the land of the Navajo, to get rid of those monsters. I live in a very special part of the Navajo nation. It's called Tsebata'a. And it's in reference to a landmark in the Four Corners region. Tsebata'at means the winged rock. And on the winged rock is where we, the Navajo believed there was once a monster that lived up there, a winged monster. And that winged monster used to cause a lot of harm. And the twin warriors were called on to restore that balance and to take care of this creature to kill it. Monster Slayer was very successful in working with his brother and using the tools from his parents to kill the monsters to protect the people. Today, what I've seen is retelling of this story. I've had many community members, and I've also told my own children this story of the monster and presenting Dick Osinsaigi as a monster that has come back to take over and try to ravage and harm the Navajo people. So in daily prayers and daily storytelling, this story of Monster Slayer overcoming and killing the monster and seeing that that rock was cleared and that rock is a reminder 
of this important story to Navajos. What I've seen over the past year are my colleagues, my partner, my my coworkers go to and resort to the spirit of Monster Slayer to take on this new monster that has come to the Navajo Nation. The Coast and Saigi is being handled and it's being their fight people are fighting back. And it's our frontline workers, our allied health professionals, our these other essential workers in our tribal communities, our tribal leaders, who are calling on Monster Slayer to get rid of the Kosensai That gift that the twin warriors got from their father were lightning, lightning rods. And that story of Monster Slayer using the lightning rods to kill the monster is very applicable to what I see frontline workers here on the Navajo Nation doing. Standing tall, standing united, and fighting back against this monster. And this is a story I tell my children all the time. Oral tradition is very important to my family and other indigenous people. It's because it helps these children make connections to what's happening around them in their world. And this story of Monster Slayer is a story of resilience. It's a story of overcoming. It's a story of battle and fighting. What better way to empower our youth especially Navajo youth, by telling them a story of something that's happened and to be in a space where we can actually see where these battles happen. And then to, on a daily basis, talk about the inner battles we're having in response to COVID, but to also see our colleagues and family members, those frontline workers, fight back against the Kosen Saigi. To me, that's what gets us through this pandemic and it's what's going to get us through future adverse experiences that Native people face this traditional knowledge, these traditional stories that have always been there and are a reminder of how we can overcome and how we can build self-efficacy and how we can focus on ourselves. I'm excited to get the story out. There's different versions of the story and there's different interpretations of this important creation story. But what matters is that there was someone, a Navajo, Twin warriors who fought back against monsters and killed them and helped save the people, helped keep people, the Navajo people safe. And I think we'll get to that point where we can celebrate that and we can tell our own stories of how healthcare workers here on the Navajo Nation had their own lightning rods and were able to kill the Kosensagi. When I spoke to Joshua in February, the Navajo Times was reporting on the Navajo people's success distributing the vaccine. At that time, the percent of those in the entire U.S. who had received at least one shot of the vaccine was nearly 13 percent. But in Navajo Nation, the number was closer to 45 percent. The Navajo Times is reporting that number has grown to nearly 70 percent of the population in the Navajo Nation. That's according to data collected February 23rd. I asked Joshua what he thought accounted for the success that the Navajo Nation is finding with their vaccination efforts. Good leadership good tribal leadership and good public health leadership, collaboration between tribal, state, and federal entities. That can always be a challenge, and I think that's what contributes to a lot of health disparities and a lot of inequities that we see in tribal communities, whether it's healthcare or education. This past year has been extremely challenging and tough, especially being from the community and seeing members of my community be sick and die. But one of the most celebrated times, I feel like, was when the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine. And within days, the first doses arrived to Shiprock, New Mexico, 
And within days, myself and other frontline workers were being vaccinated. It was a, a very moving and touching time to see the healthcare workers who have been going at it for a year to get a bit of relief and have something to celebrate. But what it comes down to is being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, to be able to celebrate an achievement. And I think we're starting to see that with the vaccine rollout, with numbers going down, with Navajo families figuring out how to navigate at-home schooling. Those are huge successes. And I'm proud to be a member of the Navajo Nation and to see my people be resilient. We know that the risks associated with COVID increases with age in a lot of ways. The risks still exist for people that are younger, but um, we've seen a higher mortality rate among those that are older. I know that elders play an important role in Navajo Nation. And can you talk a little bit about what the loss of some of the elders and, and the impact on the elders in your community has, what that's been like for you in Navajo Nation? Absolutely. Early on, when transmission rates were high and and positive cases were skyrocketing, the vulnerability of our elders and our our geriatric population here in the Navajo Nation became very evident, mostly because many households keep their grandmas and grandpas with them. They take care of them and they um, have them within the house. And so that made protecting the Native elders a challenge early on, and even to this day. There have been many public health campaigns and social media campaigns to help members of the community understand the vulnerability of our elders, not just because of their risk factors for getting COVID, but also because we had a role and responsibility to protect them because they they are the knowledge keepers. And so presenting it in that way and saying that your Che or your Masana, which is grandma and grandpa in, in, in Navajo, to be able to protect them, we needed to avoid exposing them. We needed to take care of them. We needed to make sure that they stayed home. And although a lot of elders were lost, a lot of traditional healers were lost over this past year and continue to die even now, I still see a lot of respect towards our native elders and that we need to protect them. I've seen youth within my community come together to help educate others on how vulnerable our Navajo elders are to a point where I've seen youth build makeshift signs out of uh, wood pellets with signs that say no visitors allowed or to protect our native elders. And to me, that's powerful because our, our native elders are so important. They're, they're, they're the knowledge keepers. They're the language speakers. They're the ones that are going to continue to tell the stories. And I get a little emotional over this because I lost my paternal grandfather to COVID um, on Christmas Eve. I think about how that's had a profound impact on myself and, and the rest of my my family because that person was a tribal leader. That person had the stories. That person had a certain wisdom that we lost. And this is a story that's impacting many across indigenous communities across Indian country in the U.S. that we're losing them and we have to do what we can to protect them and, and make sure that they that we keep that knowledge or we keep that wisdom safe. Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm wondering if there are any stories that your grandfather passed to you that that are especially meaning for you that you might be willing to share. On my paternal side of my family, they're farmers. And 
that's a very important skill of sustainability and being self-sufficient. And so I learned to farm from my father, to have a garden, how to farm, how to irrigate. And that knowledge was passed down from my grandfather and passed down to me. And during the year, how we stayed occupied and how we kept ourselves busy when we were stuck at home was by farming. And last year on our family's farm, we were able to produce a large amount of crop to help reduce our reliance on having to go to grocery stores on a frequent basis. But we were also able to help members of my extended family by delivering food to them in a safe way. But also we were able to contribute much of our food to local mutual aid organizations where food was able to be distributed to remote and rural parts of the Navajo Nation. So because of that knowledge that came down from my paternal grandfather, we were able to take care of ourselves and have food, especially when there is a lot of food shortages in this area of the reservation. But we were able to help extended family and we were able to help members of our community. I think that's so powerful how a skill or a knowledge or a teaching that comes down from our elders can impact us today and help impact communities in a larger scale. That's just one example if you think about all the native elders out there, they all have their own stories, their own teachings as well. And if we can allow those teachings to come down and if we can help to keep them safe during this very dangerous time, they will be able to get that knowledge and get those teachings down to the youth who can relearn or they can learn those skills and be able to help their community. Uh, community has been the theme of our conversation today in a lot of ways. Early in the conversation, you mentioned that that's one of the things you were most looking forward to returning to were the ceremonies and the family members that you had temporarily left, you know, when you were studying to become an SLP and when you went to University of Kansas. At the same time, you spent the last year serving your community. I wonder if you could kind of talk just a little bit more about how this changed how you think about your community and has it changed the way that you see yourself inside of your community at all? Absolutely, I think. I have a better feel for my role and what about what I'm capable of doing. And I hope the decisions that I make as a community member can be impactful on other, my peers and other younger Navajos as well, to show that we don't need to wait for government intervention to be able to respond and help your people, that there are things that we can do on our own to help address something bad in the community or to help restore certain practice that's going to be have a positive impact on native youth. I realize that I have clinical training and responsibility as a speech language pathologist and I enjoy that work. It's it's I, I love being a speech language pathologist. It's been a life dream of mine to to do this work and to return home and I'm doing that now. But I also like engaging with my community, working on programming, working on ways to address systemic issues to help increase access to early childhood programs, parent education, but also to help other members of my community learn about themselves and the things in their life that have that impact the native individual. Things like historical trauma, things like adverse childhood experiences, things like racism. And how does that impact that ability to be resilient how does it impact the ability to be productive in your community, to learn the ways, to learn a language, to be parents and to practice 
healthy parenting. I think about that often now since I had time to reflect on that. And during this pandemic, the children were being impacted in a very negative way. And I had to be more intentional as a father with my conversations I was having with them and the way I was coping because they were imitating exactly how I was managing stress. I've thought a lot about that more recently as we reached this one-year mark and that the children are still trying to navigate school. They're still trying to understand what's happening in the world, but they're also still trying to find their role, their space within their larger tribal community. So I think that comes down to us as parents, as caregivers, and also as clinicians who work with those parents, that we have to help them understand how we're coping with the current events, but also how they're coping with things that they already had prior to arrival of the Kosensagi and how these factors intersect with one another and can negatively impact mental health. Joshua, I really appreciate your time. And I just want to know if there's anything else that you wanted to share as we end this conversation. Yeah, thank you again for having me. And I want to close out by acknowledging a concept that's significant and important to the Navajo people. And it's this concept of balance. And Navajo is referred to as hojo. And hojo means balance and harmony. Right now, across our world, we're out of balance. And we have many people working towards to establish that balance. But I think what we need to do moving forward as clinicians, as researchers, as just humans, is realize that we need to stay grounded. And we have to realize that our voice, our inner voice, and our spoken voice, our symbolic voice has power, it has medicine. And that our role as speech-language pathologists and audiologists is to help individuals communicate. So I call on all areas of Indian country and beyond to acknowledge the importance of Native and Indigenous voices. From all four sacred directions, the east, the south, the west, the north, from outside the fire circle to the center of the fire circle, may balance be restored. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being a guest on Asher Voices today. You can read more of Joshua's story and find a picture of him in the pages of the March issue of the Asha Leader magazine or on our website at leader.pubs.asha.org. And look for Joshua during June's ASHA-hosted online conference. It's called Empowered SLPs in Healthcare, Breaking Barriers and Shaping Solutions. More information is available online at asha.org events. While you're on the website, look for a new blog post on the podcast page. March 11th marks one year since the World Health Organization assessed COVID-19 as a pandemic. On March 11th of this year, we will share a short list of memorable podcast episodes about COVID-19. Hear stories from audiologists and SLPs working in healthcare, tips for preserving your voice during video calls, and much more. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's resource, That's Unheard Of. This online resource features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.